Greetings, citizen. Welcome to the show, and thank you for listening. For more of the art of wargaming in your life, definitely check us out on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon account where you can do just that for as little as $1 a month. What we can offer will expand as the show does. If you don't have extra funds, but would still like to help us out, you can give us a like, share, or five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to get in touch? Feel free to message us or hit up our email, artofwargamingpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you because we know the world is vast, with many different ideas on tactics and strategy that can be applied to the games we enjoy. You're listening to the Art of Wargaming on the Earfirm Network. Fiction Focus. The Uplifting Primer. Welcome to the Art of Wargaming on the Ear Verm Network. I am Yaga Malark. And I'm Thumbs. And we are coming to you today to bring part two of the Imperial Infantryman's Handbook, which is the Uplifting Primer. Uh, but before we get into that, we have just a, a little intro. And of course, we say a little intro and we're going to drone on as we do. But bear with us. Um, we're, we're very bad at little intros. Yeah. I mean, because we're, we're trying to find things to talk about, you know? Like, we're trying to be like, hey, we're doing stuff in our lives. We're doing the wargaming ish like i'm reading a lot of books as you can tell i've got the evidence for that right here over the last year worth of shows but uh well and it's also just my option or not option that's a weird word uh it, it's my opportunity that's the one i was looking for uh to mm. talk to you because you know yeah, no, that's nice uh, a year long of the pandemic so we're like oh we've been playing these video games perfect let's go on right right uh, and, and speaking of such video games, I recently picked up, I know this has nothing to do with Warhammer or Belagarth, but I picked up Pokemon Shield. I haven't gotten a new Pokemon game since second edition, so like Pokemon Silver would have been my last Pokemon so game. Like 1998, 1999, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Shield is, it's, 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 I mean, it's still a Pokemon game and it's still got like the turn-based combat, which is cool, but like... It's so much cooler in that when you're like roaming in the grass, you can see the different Pokemon where they are. It's got some really cool challenges to it. It's especially in this generation is the first one uh, that the well this in let's go Eevee and Pikachu that came out just before it is the first time you can see the Pokemon out there, and it really it brings me the game that I always imagined as a child. Yeah, yeah, because there's still there's still like random encounters in the grass. There's still like things hiding in the grass occasionally, but you can see the other stuff like moving around. You like, and then like in the wild zone, the every time the the weather shifts, different Pokemon come out. It's not like the zones are static. And so like if it's raining, there's going to be different Pokemon in the zone. If it's snowing, there's going to be different Pokemon. Light, you know, nice and sh- sunny and all that. So like. I don't know. It's really cool. It was it, like I wanted to pick it up anyways because it just seemed neat. But it was even cooler than I expected. Oh yeah, uh, I really like Sword and Shield. I like that they added in that there are higher level Pokemon just wandering around in certain areas than you're ready to deal with. Yeah, like yeah. I entered into the Wild Zone and I saw an Onix and I was like, "Great, I'm gonna catch that." One, it's like four times bigger than me, and that's just cool. And I would. You know, it was kind of like going out on the field and seeing random person and being like, I'm going to fight them. And they turn around and just next thing you know, you're dead. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I had the exact same experience. It's funny you say that because, yeah, I went into the wild zone. I was like, sweet, I'm going to score me an onyx. And then I quickly got into the battle and was like, I am not going to score me an onyx. I'm going to use a pokey doll and run away. That's what I'm doing. Ooh, I had not picked up a Pokedoll yet. I just died. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, that is unfortunate, buddy. I do like Sword and Shield, the 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 kind of like medieval Europe feel that they're playing with a little bit with some of the Pokemon gives me kind of nice unifying feel to some of this generation of Pokemon that I really enjoy. Like the, I don't know if you've encountered him yet, but the uh, Galarian Meowth and his evolution Perserker, who is like... It's weird. A, They're weird. <laughs> a Steel-type Viking cat is one of my favorite Pokemon of all time. Like, unapologetically. Or I, I was extremely attached to the old version of Meowth and, and like Persian, so like it was a shock. That was definitely a shock to me. I was like, what ha- what happened to him? Are you feeling okay, <laughs> buddy? Like... What has gone on in your life since 1996? Um, <laughs> Went the Macaulay Culkin route. That's what oh, happened. Jesus. What was the other? Oh, Surfetch. I'm a big fan of. Just, you know, the the evolved Farfetch. Cool. Uh, big shield. I'm like, oh, yeah. I, the fun thing from the creative, like, I see something and go, I could make that for Belagarth. I want to make the Surfetch shield so badly. That would look pretty cool. Like a big Placidip one? Oh, my God, it'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be neat. No, and, and the, the one more thing on this, and I and I promise we'll move on. I promise. But uh, I I was tickled that there was a fire rabbit starter because within the Chinese zodiac, I am a, a fire rabbit. So when I was sitting oh, there looking at the starters, I was like, "Well, my starter has been picked for me, and he has traveled with me the entire time because he's badass." See, I just liked that there was a big monkey with drums. Uh, that, you know, that's the one that Court said that she would have gone with if she was. Um, if she if she was gonna play it, like she really thought the the grass type was cool. Mm, I'm a grass starter at heart. <laughs> most most editions I am too, but uh, yeah, I couldn't. I just could not pass up a fire rabbit, man. Anyways, the the the, the only thing I got else to say in terms of war gaming is just uh, I know I've told you guys I've been doing some Fallout seventy six, and uh, my apprentice TF has been doing a little bit with me, and so we've been working on some group tactics. He's playing like a sniper character, and at the moment I'm playing a shotgun character. So while he's, you know, headshotting them from a distance, I'm running in and providing a distraction with a very loud shotgun. So it works. It's working for us. You had told me you were using a shotgun, but working teaming that up with TF sniper rifle makes a whole lot of sense. That's uh... dude. It it's really cool. We can clear out a compound really quick. It's nice. I imagine, yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely enjoying that. It's it's a little bit like war gaming. It's it's definitely like video gaming a little bit more, but we're still using some group tactics and it's it's fun. We're just having some fun. It's still it's a way to see each other every week. Well, you know, quote unquote, see each other. Well, and we are in the middle of a heck of a cold front in Montana right now. So I mean, even if we could go outside, no one wants to. Oh, good lord! I've been watching the news. Like everybody's in a cold front right now. It's like everybody else is getting Montana weather too, and they're not equipped to deal with it. Like we've got snow plows, and like there's a whole army of vehicles that are prepared to move when the snow hits the deck. But like Dallas, Texas, not so much. Yeah, I I mean I have to hit the freeway twice a day going to and from work anymore. But there was only one day that I got out before the. Uh, the plows did and that day was pretty scary the rest was like all right this is bad but it's you know the roads are clean texas doesn't have that i know my sisters living down there are not prepped for this and they grew up here but they've been living in texas for 10 years sure like Like nobody has winter tires or all season tires right um i don't have anything too exciting on my front of stuff i've been doing i've just been I've had a really busy week, so I haven't been able to, you know, play 
as much as I would like to, but I did just come into possession of a Wacom tablet. It's a really just obscenely nice drawing tablet that my friend traded me because she had gotten her own new one. Um, and I am very excited almost immediately with the artistic possibilities for it. And especially, you know, for Art of War gaming illustrations too, because one of the things she added on was a brush that just makes chainmail drawings for you. Ooh. Like you just click and little bits of chainmail go on. So instead of having to draw each link individually, which I can do, I have done it many times, but it's just miserable from a creative perspective. Oh, sure. I, th I think we've talked on the show before about that, how just drawing chainmail is miserable. And like, you, you, I think you said you didn't actually want to do real chainmail for that, for that very reason. Yeah, no. Uh, and also thing that I didn't know until I tried to draw it. If you draw chainmail wrong, it looks like they're wearing like a furry coat. <laughs> I don't know how, just like the lines <laughs> translate that way. It doesn't make any sense, but it's 100% accurate, and I can just skip that now, you know? Oh, this yeah. person's got little bits of chainmail coming out underneath their tunic or whatever. Little line right there. We're good. Let's go onward. Oh, I like that. That'll be a handy handy tool for the illustrations. It'll work for me, and it'll work for you. It's the best of both worlds. Works all around. Yeah. And then you were, you were talking before the show about some awesome new bats that you got. Oh, yeah, we mentioned it last episode, and they've already arrived. I got the two bats that I was talking about from Monster Tech, which, um, also, I'm just really impressed with how quickly it arrived. As I said, I ordered it, and they arrived fully completed within two weeks. I have never had a place that is quite that fast, especially with, you know, these aren't pre-made. He made them to my, like, specifics. And when you consider the fact that there is a pandemic on that makes shipping even more difficult than usual, that's that's pretty impressive. Oh yeah, that I mean, he had it out within a day or two of me ordering it, so that's just really good customer service right there. And I mean, Heck yeah, all cards on the table. Hakan is our friend, so of course we're hyping him up. But legitimately, it was really well done. At the same time, they are absolutely gorgeous. They feel really good in the hand. I have not used them yet because, as we said, there's an Arctic front outside and I'm not hitting right. anyone in this. <laughs> you want to hit nobody with a brick thumbs? But I have had to force myself to put it down because I started swinging in my living room and being like, nope, this isn't my little tiny sword. Like, this is, I will break something. Yeah. Yeah, I got to remember to go out into the garage with my lightsabers. They are not an indoor practice weapon. We uh, found the box with the lightsabers that got lost in the move. Not like permanently lost, but just, you know, put this in the corner and we'll get to it when we have time and space. Sure. And all the batteries have died. And I got so excited to pull them out. And then I clicked the button and nothing happened. And I was like, well, that yeah. is just... Oh, I'm <laughs> sad now. I'm assuming you got the rechargers or the rechargeable ones. Uh, I, know, I think I just got normal batteries, which in retrospect was not a great choice on my part, but word it's they're not bad it's just triple a's i you know it's just i like rechargeable batteries because waste less yeah they're a bit more sustainable i i try to get rechargeables when i can too so that's what's been going on with us but one of the things before we get into this episode that i wanted to go over is what's been going on with y'all because when i was checking the metrics recently we got to seven thousand downloads 
So I, I, I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, like a big thank you from us here at Tau because uh, that's just incredible. That's just, that, I mean, it shows that, you know, we're, we're able to contribute to y'all's lives and it just helps us to know that what we're putting out there is actually beneficial to folks. So again, thank you so much for, for listening and we hope that we continue to serve you well. My dude, what episode is this? This is 45, 46? 46, yeah. 46? That is a lot of downloads per per episode. So thank you so much, my guys, and my everybody. (laughs) My dudes and collective dudettes and dudorinos. Yeah, folk. We'll just go with folk. I like that. (laughs) My cats, I'll just make myself sound like a beatnik. Uh... I should come back around. It is the twenties again, so so you know the, the beatnik stuff should be coming back around. Cats is gender gender neutral. That's all I'm saying. I, uh... That's true. That's true. Well, I think without further ado, we're going to get into our first section: a trooper's duty. A book that uh, would really hate beatniks. one a trooper's duty is pretty much everything i have been dealing with since joining the bod if we're being honest to give like the one sentence description especially our first part here which is uh the rules and regulations or community standards of the game yeah it's just the expectations that are giving it at each various level of administration i think we've gone over these things previously but we wanted to touch on them again because this this book was pretty heavy on them, especially in its first section. Mm-hmm. And they're so important. Oh yeah, they're they're absolutely important. Not just for maintaining whatever standards your community has, but also for making sure that you do not run awry of whatever those things are. So, you know, without further ado, our first uh, part of this is whatever your realm bylaws are. So these are going to be different for each realm. You should probably check with your local chapter, but they're going to include things like um, what it constitutes a full member, who gets voting rights, uh, different penalties for different actions, uh, and how those things are meted out. Like your realm bylaws should outline all those things. And if it reads like legalese, then that's good. Yeah, it's probably better written that way. Yeah, because you want to make sure that you're going into as much detail as possible there. But And so wh- whatever your local realm is, whoever your local group is, uh, will have those things. So check in with your realm leader to know exactly what your realm bylaws are. Uh, there will also be things like house rules might exist for this. You know, for the most part, we try to keep them to national Belagarth rules. But for example, some realms don't allow reusable missile weapons. We didn't for a couple of years with the idea of forcing the archers to become better shots we abandoned it later but you know also forcing archers to bring their own arrows like i don't know if it was necessarily targeted at me but i was an archer for a while without owning a single arrow and i would just go out on the field and wait for people to shoot and then i go around and pick up their arrows and suddenly have some ammunition so (laughs) that's the most poor college guy way of playing archery uh in our game yeah yeah I mean, I definitely was a poor college guy, so it definitely, <laughs> definitely fit. But the you know other examples of house rules could be as simple as like how strict are they on garb requirements at their practices? Some sure. don't do it. Some actually like discourage garb, and some people are really hardcore about it. So you know that's all yep. good stuff to know in advance. 
And of course, people are going to have different levels of expectations for as long as you've been there. For instance, Stygia is pretty darn lenient on garb for what, like a month or three months or something like that? Like, we'll be pretty lenient on that. And after a few months, we're like, hey, dude, it's kind of time. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty cheap to be or pretty easy to make your own or pretty cheap to get just a, a tabard a tunic or and some pants or something like that like it's pretty mm -hmm. easy you know well and you know we also understand that sometimes there are reasons you don't have garb oh i just got off of work and i forgot to like bring it and i don't want to run home first uh which in That's my case is a pretty major occurrence like if i forget right. my garb i just don't have it that day uh, but we do have loner stuff. But that's that comes up later. Yep, yep, yep. So that's the realm stuff. Uh, unit contract-wise, you can either have an official or unofficial unit contracts. Like some contra some units will actually have you sign, like an actual contract that not only outlies what they expect of you, but also just like, you know, how you should represent the unit and, and other such things like that. They can be pretty detailed and laid out. Most units, however, have at least an unofficial code by which you need to abide. Some sort of uh, set of rules that they just expect from all their members. And, and this may be something that's freely talked about or maybe just something that's implied. But, you know, I mean, typically people don't want you showing up sloppy on the field, for instance. You eventually reach a size for units, I think, that you need to have some kind of official whatever. You know, it, it doesn't have to be like a legalese contract that I've signed, but like bylaws, expectations, yeah, you know, pretty simple stuff. Because you'll eventually reach a point that you might not know every person as well as when it was just, you know, the original five of you, or whatever. And not everybody might have the same idea of what expectations are reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and be very yeah. aware to it going in. Like, when you and I did uh, DGMA together, we had rules like how many swords we expected you to, like, be able to bring to an event. And that is really weirdly specific in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. At the, at the time, I think it made sense, but no, yeah, <laughs> it's a weird requirement. There are events that it works for, um, and also it was just us trying to make sure we had like a, a maintained level of like everyone has this basic equipment. And as we got, because we didn't have a bunch to share around, but now that I own like thirty swords, whatever, dude, show up, I'll hook you up. Right. Yeah, and, and and that kind of again, those rules got more realistic as we kind of got more experienced. And so, I mean, if you're joining an older unit, then a lot of these things are going to have been ironed out already because they'll have experienced it. They've already been there, done that, had to deal with the situation previously. But in terms of a newer unit, if you're starting a unit yourself or if you're just joining one that's fresh off the bud, then these are things you need to think about. You need to like basically make sure that everybody understands what expectations there are for that unit. And, and again, they can be ranging from fairly strict to pretty darn loose. Um. <laughs> and understand it's going to be a living document. So you're going to have to update these. I mean, this is true of every single thing we're going to talk about here. These rules are going to require re-examination. They're going to require updating. And I... Uh, send my sympathy right now if this takes up a lot of energy when you're having to do this kind of stuff. It's not always fun. It's always important. Yeah, it is It is a necessary part of this what we This is something do. I'm telling myself a lot this year. I'm going to be honest with you. Well, yeah, as VP of the of the whole of the whole national shebang, yeah, you got your fair bit of, of responsibility and, and reading. It's a lot easier when I can go hit people on Sundays. Like, as For well. Sure. Like, the, sure. when the balance is a little better. I absolutely feel that. Uh, yeah, it, 
<laughs> it definitely reminds you of why we do this, no doubt. But speaking of hitting people at a place with other people, of course, there's also the events that we're all going to. Different people from different areas of the country all coming together to smack each other on one field. It is a beautiful thing, but there also needs to be rules and regulations here, too. I know it may not be fun to talk about, but yeah, they're there. For instance, you have the local laws to speak about. Just because you're on a, a hopefully an isolated campsite or something like that does not mean that the police aren't going to come around and be checking out what's going on. So you need to be abiding by whatever local laws that there may be, whether those are you know substance laws or driving laws or even just burning laws. Like I know around here, you need to know whether or not you can burn because if if it's not burn season. You'll light the state on fire. Oh yeah, that can get that can cause a lot of trouble. I mean, we set them not we, not like us, but the town we, that we live in. Member yeah. of the town we lived in accidentally set the mountain on fire next to us a couple years back, and actually just last summer too. You have to be real careful about when you light a fire of any kind. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this, these are just some of the local laws that you want to be, make sure that you're just aware of. Just make sure you know uh, what's kind of expected of you from a, from just an overall legal standpoint. And then from the also, event level itself, oh, what you got? Also consider real quick, uh, you were saying earlier, like, hopefully you won't have neighbors. And if you get to a certain size, you probably won't have neighbors. But if you're doing smaller local events, particularly newer events, or, you know, Stygia, so we're just so remote anyways they're always kind of small be prepared for the fact that you're going to have neighbors and treat them with respect because they're also trying to enjoy their vacation sure sure and if you know, like if you're on private property or something like that like upsetting the neighbors is a good way to get the aforementioned police more mm -hmm. involved in what you're doing so uh, i know that for us we had some issues with that because of sound pollution or at least what was being classified as sound pollution we were just having a, a good old time playing some rave music but the neighbors of the people on the of the property actually wanted to sleep or something like that. I don't yeah, know. It's, it's pretty laziness. Lame, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there's there's those issue too. So just again, be respectful and be mindful of what's going on. The event has everybody sign a waiver. Any event you're going to go to is going to have you sign a waiver, and that waiver generally has outlined on it some of the just general rules that that event has specifically. And then always listen to whatever instructions you receive at Troll. And this is, this is of course, true for Warhammer stuff, too. Like, you're going to have your local group that you go with. You're going to have, if you have a team, they're going to have things. And then, of course, there's the big tournaments. And if registration, or Troll, as it's called in Belagarth, gives you instructions, like the fire uh, season that we were just talking about, or, or really anything else, you listen to them. Just, just do what they say. It's okay. All of these rules are things that are really unimportant until suddenly they're extremely important. Yeah. So, yeah, and then you'll be glad you have them. So that's why we're like really pointing out you need them, you need to have the uncomfortable conversation, and you kind of need to have these on every level of the sport. Yep. Because again, it's a human organization. Much like other human organizations, uh, it's full of flawed individuals who you know make mistakes, screw up, and, and sometimes do so in a way that needs to be dealt with. So, yeah, it, it's it's these rules and regulations are, are very important. And then at the tippy top, uh, above all these other things, are of course the national standards. Whatever. Uh, so for for Warhammer 40k, there are absolutely national standards for when you go to a tournament. You know. Um, and the same is true as a physical wargaming too, whether it's the SCA, Darkon, you know, Dagger here or Belagarth, 
or anybody else we didn't mention, you know, there's obviously going to be a overall code of conduct and overall, overall, and usually they're pretty loose. Like usually there's yeah. something that like most people can abide by pretty easily. Uh, it's nothing like garb requirements or anything like that. It's usually just stuff like, don't be uh, in a hate group. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, I mean, that's a, if you can, if you can abide by that, then you're good to go. <laughs> I mean, that's basically That it. sounds like really over the top, but no, it's pretty straightforward there. And that's like good stuff to have because there will always be that annoying person being like, well, you didn't say I couldn't be. Well, you didn't think we right. had to, but yeah. <laughs> like. So don't be in a hate group and don't commit violent felonies. Like if you can accomplish both of those things, then you're pretty good within the sport of Belagarth. Again, I don't, I don't know about other communities, but that's, that's basically it. Bell. Keep keep your violence to foam and on the field. Consensual violence. That's what we're into around here. Consensual violence. You like that? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's over there cracking up right now. <laughs> uh. Uh, glad I could get a chuckle. Anyway, so that's that's when we talk about rules and regulations. Those are the different levels, and those are the kind of the different uh, what you're going to be dealing with at those levels. So we're going to shrink it back down again real quick to the local practice and move away from the standards and more about what you're trying to accomplish during that practice. And for this, I actually specifically took a section from the primer because I thought it was not only useful, but also hilarious in some sections. So we're going to go through this. And obviously some of these are just going to be applicable to the Imperial Guard because they're not really useful for what we do in like real life but they're just kind of amusing to go over and, and picture them actually happening within our communities. So uh, without further ado, would you like to kick us off on the first one there, Thumbs? To promote loyalty for the guard and for the emperor. For the emperor. Um, which I guess would kind of be like realm patriotism or game patriotism. Not like, yeah, yeah mine's better to heck with the rest of you, but like, isn't this great? Yeah, you're just being hyped up that you're from Stygia or hyped up that you're from Durdamarian or, or Wrath or wherever. I mean, I and I experienced that not just here in Stygia, but I, I saw it when I went to Durdamarian too. They were fiercely patriotic, uh, such to an extent that Angel did not let me go fight with the Western Alliance because she said, you're ours now. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're a part of our realm, so you're going to fight with us. And I, you know, Angel's a scary lady, so I didn't say no. I, I just, I did what I did what she said. <laughs> Do not blame you, my friend. Do not blame you. Uh, you know, the other thing it makes me think of is that Chaos Wars where a bunch of units formed the Empire and kept yelling for the Emperor. Yeah, but that, that is maybe Cedric a little more on the nose. Cedric wills it. Oh my God. Yeah, that was... That was hilarious. He hated it, too. Like, that was the thing I found out afterwards, was that he just was annoyed the entire time. We're showing our Belgarth age here, man. That was, like, eight years ago. Oh, shush. <laughs> <laughs> I am a young spry chicken, sir. I I cluck all over the place. Uh, <laughs> okay, boomer. Um... <laughs> I'm not a boomer. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna move on now. We're bell boomers. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, yes, absolutely. That's true. Um, next one is to instill unswerving respect for the chain of command. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean yes, but also no. Uh. I mean, obviously, yeah, we want people to be able to re listen to the realm leaders and have them respected. But like, no, like, we're, it's just people with people. There's no. 
there's yeah the 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 ranks are really just there for organizational purposes it doesn't actually mean anything i i get it when it comes to like the military in real life like oh yeah. okay this your life might rely on this i understand it i know that i wouldn't be good in that situation which is why i you know one of the reasons i never joined the military myself but i understand why it exists but anytime people try and instill that in my sunday wacky bats at the park game it never lasts. It never works. Uh, it doesn't last really anywhere. Like, <clears throat> most people do not want to show up to be yelled at. You know, that's that's not something people want to do on their off time. Again, there's there's people who are, who are definitely into that sort of thing, and that's <laughs> cool for them. But, yeah, I, I definitely want to be someplace where things are discussed in calm, even tones between reasonable adults. Uh, that's what I prefer. But at the same time definitely try and give respect to your volunteers they are probably working on stuff that you don't even like you're not even gonna think of and i know that because there were plenty of times where i wish i had like in retrospect was like man i wish i was nicer to that volunteer they were probably doing stuff like in retrospect Um, right right yeah if i ever encounter a grumpy volunteer at an event i'm like "Ooh, you've had a bad day and uh i can sympathize do do you need anything can I get you some water or something? <laughs> like A cup of coffee. Just, I mean, I don't know. Whatever you need. Yeah, so you want to, like, instill respect, but it's not unswerving respect. It's not a respect to an unreasonable degree. And certainly you want to be electing uh, people to your realm leadership and unit leadership who uh, you respect to begin with. So it shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, who are worthy of that respect. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like they were just put there because they were born to a to a high-ranking family on an imperial planet, which, I mean, that would be neat for, for that individual, but fortunately, most of us run off of a meritocracy. At least hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, I'm up next again. Uh, to bestow clear understanding of one's position in the command echelon. Sir, yes, sir. If you, especially if you are like a realm leader, know what your lane is. Right. You know, know what, you're, what the, the duties that are assigned to you are. Uh Absolutely. Uh, One of the ways I thought about this, too, is just kind of understanding where you belong on the field. And this this comes with time and practice, but, you know, there's some people who are more situated to the line than they are to the wing, and there's some people that are more situated to the wing than they are to the line. Uh, There's folks who are better in the back line. There's folks that are better up right in front. So knowing where your position is and also knowing what your strengths are. Can you take on two people at once or should you wait for a friend to join you? Like, that's not a matter of cowardice. That's a matter of making sure that you understand your position on the field to achieve victory. Yeah, like, I can be on the front line if I need to, but it's not where I'm going to be most useful and it's not where I'm going to be having the best time. Sure. You know, my my position in the command echelon, to use this, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that word correctly. No, Echelon, you got it. Echelon, okay, great. Uh, My position in the command Echelon is probably the rear line, or the sides, or the, you know, not smack dab in the center of the line. I'm, I don't know where I, I used to be situated for the far wing, but these days, especially with the archery uh, commitment that I'm going to have, probably, uh, I'm going to be a back, back line kind of guy. You're back line, but still on the wings. Uh, Yeah. Actually, that's where you and I kind of thrive in general, so that makes sense. Those cross shots, man. It's all about the cross shots. Yep, same with the spear. So the next one is to provide adequate training in equipment, arms, accoutrement, and tools. So this is just making sure that you understand how to use the basic things that you're going to be using. If I need to show you how to set up a pop-up chair, 
I can show you how to set up a pop-up chair. This is where the loner gear and garb comes mm -hmm. in, just providing that th those basics for people to start learning these things. Making sure it's loner gear that's worth using. Like, you know, if it's the three-pound short sword, that's not good. That is, that is right. bad accoutrement. Um. Right. And I guess in there, too, that would, that would include the idea of showing people the basics as to making garb and to making uh, their own weapons, if, if they so choose to. You know, I, at this point in my career, I prefer to buy them, but there was a time where I liked to make my own stuff, and I was thankful for the folks who had shown me how to do that. So that's also here, too. And that's, that's kind of a, a duty of all of the, the more veteran members of the realm, is to kind of take the newer people under their wing and teach them these sorts of things so they don't have to go through it and learn it the hard way like we did. Yeah, I mean, I still maintain that if you brought the person into the sport, they're now your responsibility. Like, if I ever bring someone in and I'm like, all right, let's do this, uh, you are my child now for the next six months. There's a definite degree of responsibility mm -hmm. that's implied there. To provide basic training in elementary battlefield protocols. Show them how to throw a shot. Like, make sure that you can throw a, a chop. Make sure that you can throw... I mean, a rap is actually a fairly advanced shot. Most people don't get that until they're, they're fairly... They've been in it for a while. A few months in. But a chop, a stab... Uh, any of those things are going to be important. Teaching people like where the different strike zones are on the body, so what they they know what they're aiming for and what they should be taking. Yeah, I mean any of the basic like these are the rules. This is what you do. Make you need to make sure all of your people know this before they go out on the field. Right, right. It's just an important part of the training. Now, our next one is to administer mental and physical hardship in preparation for the battlefield. Now, this one actually is pretty legit because I've only known of a few people that were able to stick around after, if they, if they joined and they went to their event directly like that. That seems to be a good way to get overwhelmed uh, for a lot of folks. I, I mean, I remember my first fight at an event and the two sides hit and I realized right before we hit that I had no idea who these people were on my side. And the fight started, and back then, pretty much everyone wore brown or black garb. Yes, uh, they did. <laughs> who I could not tell you. I mean, to this day, and I know most of those people now, I could not tell you who would have been on my side. So, yeah. I if that had been my first fight ever, I don't know how long I would have stayed. Uh, for some sure. people, just, they're all about that. They are just mm, hooked immediately. But... Get them ready for that. Yeah, those are rare. The roars of the world are <laughs> rare and far between. Well, and even he had, like, a practice before he went to an event. Like... So he had a, a little bit of what to expect, for sure. Mm -hmm. And even even for people who have been doing it a while, um, the constant training that we do is a very good way to physically prepare for the battlefield. You don't want to just be sitting around doing absolutely nothing and then go out to an event and expect to perform at a high level for long periods of time like you need to be able to work on that endurance you need to be able to work on the pacing that one only learns from being out there and fighting for three hours every weekend bare minimum we came out to uh came back from that chaos that i was just talking about what is that chaos 15 and mm -hmm. we were like hey guys you guys need to be ready for events because most of our people in the realm had never been to events at that point uh, no. Like, you need to be ready for this. And really trained people up and put them through the hardship. And uh, I mean, and it's not bullying. 
none of this should like the the sentence kind of sounds like bullying but that is not at all what we're talking about no, but making yeah. sure they know what you know an expected hit is you know right. what I'll take as a light at a local practice might be a lot lighter than I will at an event where I'm playing for real because I'm like, you sure. know, this is the game. This is, both of us know what's going on. But if I'm at a local practice, I might, you know, random new guy number seven, I'll be like, okay, bud, you're working on it. Like, you're getting better. Let, I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, like, we, we typically take a lot lighter in our home realm than they typically throw on, on a national field. And that was a rude awakening because I had gotten used to the, it felt fairly heavy to me at the time, fighting that we did here in Stygia. And then I went to my first Chaos Wars and I had a, a kidney forcefully inserted to the other side of my body. <laughs> and I went, I did not. And at first I was like, that guy's a meanie. Like, I, I don't like that guy. He was, he was, and then the next person who hit me did the same thing. And I was like, okay, both of those people are mean. And then by the end of the event, I was like, okay, either everybody here is mean or I've been calibrating my shots wrong. Like one, yeah. one of these two things is true. <laughs> uh, when I first started going to events, spears weren't very common in Stygia yet. I mean, they're right. kind of a pain to get delivered over here in Montana still. Oh, yeah. So I encountered low pros for the first time, and I was like, what is wrong with that guy? That hurts so bad. He was so, like, rude. And then, no, it was just, I was used to, like, the single way too heavy to be effective spear. And had someone, you know, do a shot that these days, I'd be like, that was pretty good. That was fine. And being yep. like, I'm going to die. Yeah. Now, it's interesting to think about it, like the, the shots that we are just used to taking at this point from like the like the min-weight bats that are taped over and the low-pro spears and the minimalist arrows, all the things that kind of make it ouchy. Like when they first started happening, we didn't necessarily care for them. And now they're just they're just part of the, the fighting. Like you're just like you just you just kind of take up your pain tolerance just a notch to be able to deal with it. It's cool. And in some cases, they hurt less because they weigh about half the amount of some of the things that used to come flying at our heads. <laughs> But long story short, knowing what it's going to feel like, knowing knowing how you're going to get hit, and knowing that you are going to get hit is an important part of prep for an event. To ensure correct behavior during combat and non-combat duties. So you're like your combat duties are things like don't pick a fight with the Herald. Like Heralds will occasionally make the wrong call. They do that. They're human. I have done it as a Herald. Yeah. But the place to discuss that is not there on the field at the time when the rest of the fight is still going on. The time to discuss it is immediately after that fight is over, when you can go talk to that herald and they're not being distracted from their job and say, hey, you know, I, I felt like you miscalled that hit. This is what actually happened in that situation from my perspective. And then that herald can go, oh, okay, thank you for telling me. I'll try to keep an eye out for that, you know, next time. And so it's a, it's a good little communication. And, and everything gets across without that sort of distraction. But that may not be something that you know before you're, you're told not to do it. People will argue with heralds. It is just, especially when you have all of the adrenaline running through you and someone's suddenly like, you're dead. Almost every person uh -oh. I've ever known will have that like, what? No. You, know, you have to like camp that down. Even if you have the like, what? No, you're like, but sorry, dead. Like, uh, you're going to be back yeah. in like, five minutes at the longest like these battles don't run that long it will be fine and i would prefer heralds be more aggressive than to be too too light-handed with it like I, I i would rather heralds occasionally call things a bit too aggressively than to not call anything at all 
Well, and it's hard, and I get that it's hard, especially at events where you might not know the person you're calling dead. Sure. You know, like, if I'm talking, you know, I'm at Stitchy, and I'm talking to you, and I'm like, hey, Malark, you're dead. You're like, all right, dude. Like, you know that I am not just being mean or... Out for to get me or anything. Yeah. Like, you, you know that, you know, I, I think I saw something. But guy number seven on the other side of the field might not know that. So I get that it is... Having done a bunch of heralding at events, it's real stressful. We understand. But be willing to make that call, even if it's the wrong one, sometimes. Yep. I mean, try not to do the wrong one, obviously. But, like, it happens. So those are, yeah, that's that's an example of correct behavior in combat. Obviously, taking your shots, not cheating, um, is a good thing. A required thing, really. <laughs> yeah, another thing is teaching people not to say the word hold like that is one of the mm. hardest like that had to be beaten out of me because of course i grew up watching like civil war films hold, they'd be the, like, hold line. the line yeah uh, they don't want you to say that in bell <laughs> yeah if you don't play bell hold means everyone take a knee stop the fight somebody's injured yes somebody's injured someone has like fallen in a way that they shouldn't uh, I got hit in the eye and I have gone into the fetal position. You know, uh, broken arm. I've seen that happen before and like, hold. So hold means you stop, you take a knee. This battle is not permanently done, but like we're not getting started again until everyone's back up to where they were and we respawn. And there may be times where you feel like you're taking a knee every two minutes because sometimes when people are crowded in real close together for like fortification battles or bridge battles, the headshots become far more common. And so there's a, a huge upswing of concussions during that time. Like, it's it's pretty... I don't fight in those fights, because I enjoy my brain being in one piece in my skull. It's why I don't like bridge battles, personally, if there's only one bridge. Like, if there's two bridges, it tends to even itself out. But one bridge, is, it's just asking, in my opinion, for headshots. I mean... They're exciting. Don't get me oh, wrong. They're like, so much fun. They're just dangerous. Being in that press, like, oh yeah, it's there's there's something absolutely adrenaline inducing about it. And then, you know, you get smacked in the head by a twelve foot <laughs> weapon because it's coming straight down on top of you. And it's not so fun. And then I miss the next three fights because like I've got a splitting headache. Yeah. Not that we're old men with opinions. <laughs> huh. What? Off the lawn. Uh, non-combat duties, you know, same kind of thing. Your expectations of, you know, treating the park with respect, picking up trash don't litter. yourself. Yeah. The yeah. Will Wheaton internet rule of don't be a, let's go with jerk, applies for all of this. You know, people have to deal with Absolutely. you, you have to deal with people. Yep. Another thing about the non-combat duties that I feel like a lot of people neglect is the idea of doing at least a little bit of volunteer work while you're at the event because everybody there is a volunteer nobody's getting paid yeah so it's i th i think it's very important that everybody at least picks up one shift like you don't have to dedicate a massive portion of your event to to picking up volunteer shifts but if you just pick up you know one kitchen shift or one troll shift or one you know security shift that's one less shift than they have to find somebody else for and if everybody if everybody at the event takes up one shift somewhere that means light work for everybody yeah I have done events where I did basically an 80-hour work week. And you know what? That was one of my least favorite events I've ever been to. Like, sure. there was great stuff about it. But, like, that's not fun. You didn't get paid a dime for it, either. Oof, no. And I worked, like, double the amount I usually work. And it was, you know, work I cared about. Which is both good and bad when it comes to how much time you're willing to invest into it. 
Sure. Um, <laughs> we lose a lot of people to burnout, especially yeah. volunteers. So we don't want to lose that because then we have to train new volunteers. And God, that's exhausting. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, finding people that want to spend their weekend volunteering is hard enough in of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, among other things, again, uh, like we had mentioned, taking care of the park, making sure that you're uh, respectful of everybody else who's around you. Uh, just uh, generally, uh, just be a good person. Try. I mean, not necessarily, a, you don't need to be earning any sainthoods here, but uh, do what you can to make sure that everybody else has a good time too. And the last one of these, uh, of, the, of these training regimens that they suggest is to provide rigorous training and how to recognize heresy apostasy, dissidence, impiety, and questionable behavior. I think that's like an all-in-one for both of us, actually. Definitely you, most likely me. Yeah, all of the above. I got an all of the above <laughs> on this one. I mean, maybe not dissidents, depending on what we're dissenting from, but... No, so I, uh, I I think that these are this is an unrealistic expectation of, of anybody. I don't think anybody could pass this <laughs> standard. And I think that's the point. Like the Imperial Guard has to be able to pass rather uh, insane standards for their thing. Uh, but for us, it's more along the lines of like learning to recognize unsafe behavior. Calling out bullying when you see it. And I don't mean, you know, just like raising a huge fuss and being a jerk yourself, but... You know, if if you see someone bullying, which can happen accidentally, too. Yep. Uh, definitely have done that. We're just going down my laundry list of like, I've done this. Please don't do it to other people. But you know, you know, uh, playing the game and having the kind of boisterous attitude, and it might work fine when I'm dealing with Malark. But when I'm dealing with Johnny, I don't know. I I'm making up names. Uh, it 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 hits different, and it's much more personal. It feels kind of like bullying, you know, catching yourself doing it, or if you see someone else being like, "Hey, thumbs," like he's not finding that funny. Right. Knock it off. Right. So, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's just a way of keeping making sure that folks are feeling comfortable and and are able to to again mutually enjoy. We're all we're all about making sure that everybody who wants to can come and enjoy this the the thing that we partake of. And so, yeah, we, we don't be watching for those things. Obviously, watching for any sort of cheating is another thing. Like, you, you want to be able to catch that pretty quick in people so it can be corrected. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, just anything you can think about that would be negative for the community. Yeah, pretty easy. Uh, so this, uh, the last, I don't want to say the section of the section, but the last topic, there we go. The last topic go. of this section is warp transit. So this uh, in 40k, the large ships of the Imperium and really most of the uh, the Xenos races too, uh, use the warp as a means of getting places. And so the ship will enter the warp and be there for months, years, sometimes. Like it, it can it can vary the time that you're in there. And so for them, it's a very specific kind of thing that they need to keep people focused. Yeah, because they're they're and, and the warp is it's not like a pleasant ride either, because the warp is trying to like seep into your soul and into your mind, the whole time you're there. So what they're dealing with in this is is a little bit different than we do. When I'm talking about the the warp transit for us, it's driving, driving on your way yeah. to an event or to a tournament, because this applies all over the place. And this is definitely one of the things where our locality and our biases, because of our locality, are showing. Uh, yeah, because we live. So far from people. <laughs> I think we've said before, it takes like five, six hours to get to the nearest event that isn't ours. 
Yeah, that, that's about as much time as I make sure, like, minimum to set aside for it, so... Yeah. Uh, also, everything we're talking about here goes double for the ride home. Yes. Because everyone is tired and cranky at that point. Like, we're all coming down. So I guess the first thing we need to discuss in this is how morale can suffer. Uh, and there's there's a, a number of things that can contribute to a, a diminishing morale. The first one is just bad attitudes. You know, people who are there to just kind of da- put a damper on other people's day. And I, I don't mean necessarily a bad mood. People can have a bad day. People can be in a bad mood and, and kind of want to keep to themselves. And that's that's fine. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about somebody that needs to vindictively take out their bad mood on other people. Uh, if I am grumpy and kind of making myself pay for it, then that's whatever. That's It happens. If I am grumpy and making you pay for it, that's a bad attitude. That is... Yeah. That's being vindictive. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Or <laughs> yeah, not willing to do, not willing to do your part. Like if if you've brought your gear over and folks are loading up the car and there's an expectation that you should load your own stuff, but you just kind of stand there and, and insist other people do it or something like that, or you take up, uh, like so yeah, there's 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 a number of ways that a bad attitude could could contribute. Uh, next up, we're going to have intense smells. Ooh. And this is definitely one where, actually, on the way home, I'm a little more understanding of it, especially at, like, Chaos. I mean, you shower before you get in that car if it's an option. Like, you do everything you can to keep those smells down, but they're gonna happen. Uh, so... And the nice thing about coming back from an event is it's usually tamped down by the, the campfire smell. Like, that's yeah. nature's deodorant there, so everybody smells like campfire rather than sweaty nerd. Mm. Um, Life Which, you know, there. is just... Yeah. And then, of course, we've all been kind of around sweaty nerds all week, so it's less offensive because it's just become normal at that point. You notice it as soon as you stop in the diner for some chicken fried steak on the way home. Learn from my experience. But that does not mean that you shouldn't uh, bring some deodorant. Like, I don't necessarily wear it when I'm at an event, but I will wear it to an event and from an event simply because I don't want to kill the other people in the car with me. And so that, that's a pretty decent idea, is just to make sure that you're, you're smelling fresh. Even with deodorant, be aware of the deodorant you're using. Yeah, like, Axe Body Spray is rough. Out. It is out. Uh, it is not allowed. And, you know, I, like, I personally don't like the smell of most deodorants. So, but, you know, even I'll still bring, like, uh, I, I'm going to use the kind of, like, seller's term. I'll use lady deodorant. I'll use women's deodorant, because it tends to smell better than dude deodorant. I'm an Old Spice guy. I've been an Old Spice guy, like, literally, as long as I've been wearing deodorant. But it's because that's what my grandfather wore, so... 100%. I don't mind Old Spice. But, like, you know, use whatever... Like, be aware if the smell is going to be overly strong, because that might be problematic. But still use something. Even something, even a little bit of something is better than nothing. You know, even if if you're not a person that wants to just lather uh, deodorant on, just something to break up the smell is kind of important. Also, you mentioned before we started recording, Funyuns. Yeah, so food. Food just in <laughs> general. Like, make sure that you're not with people who are massively offended by certain smells. For instance, I love a tuna fish sandwich. Oof, I would hate you. I would hate you so bad. There's been several times that I've been on a trip and I'm like, you know what? Nobody else wants to smell fish breath. Nobody does. And so, you know, we'll stop off for sandwiches and I'll just get something else. It's no, it's not a big thing for me to do that. I can just get something else. It's fine. 
you know, if, if I'm in a car with people, like if I'm in a car with TF and my wife, neither of whom can smell worth a crap, then I'll eat all the tuna fish I want. They don't, they're not going to know. Let's <laughs> no, get off their back. Fast food, trash, things like this, you know, n- not food, just food, but the food wrappers once it's done. Yep. Get yep, those yep, yep. out of the car as quickly as you can. I am not, for the most part at events, a supporter of like, you know, snack food in the car is one thing. Like I brought crackers sure. and some raspberries. Um, I love raspberries while traveling or always, mm. but like, oh God, I hate it when we like run through McDonald's personally, because it smells real good when it first enters your car. That smell yeah. of the, like the grease and the salt. Two hours later, when you have been in that car for, well, two hours. Two hours. And yeah. it is now cold grease and everyone's burps after the McDonald's. That is not as good, everybody. So again, if, if you're with a bunch of people that enjoy those smells, then that's one thing. Um, another thing to consider, and then we might move on past smells. Please. Or we might just stay on it all night, is uh, smoking. Like, I, I know a lot of people smoke cigarettes and that sort of thing, and so it's good to be mindful of uh, other folks who are in the car who may not smoke. Um, and it's, it's just either polite to either check in or just make sure that you're stopping off at rest stops uh, for, for that sort of thing. Just be, be courteous. Because uh, I know, like, I used to be a smoker, and I, was, I tried to be courteous to the folks in the car with me. Um, but I, of course, I haven't smoked in a while now, and I have, for the most recent photo shoot, which you guys will see at the, during the next season, I went out and got myself a, a cigar, just a big old obnoxious cigar that I could use for the, the photo shoot. And afterwards, I was like, well, I can't just waste this cigar, you know. And my wife had never smoked a real cigar before, so I was like, well, let's go smoke this thing real quick. And uh, I enjoyed it a little bit. It was nice to taste tobacco again. My wife didn't care for it because you have to, like, you have to, like, wet the cigar. Like, there's a lot of, yeah, there's, like, if, if you're smoking a, a cigar. It's a process to smoke a cigar. It is. It is. And it's a little gross. Like, if you're not a person who's done it before, like, what? You're like, why am I tasting your saliva? And it's like, well, yeah, that's how yeah. you smoke a cigar. That's the filter like, right there. Yeah, I'm not really a share a cigar kind of person. <laughs> yeah, and that I can understand. But I, you know, I smoked a good quarter of that cigar and then put it out. I was fine. But the smell, the smell lingered on my clothes for several days. The smell lingered on my mustache for several Ooh, days. And as yeah. a person who does not smoke anymore, that, like, again... The cigar smoke, smoke smell smells good for maybe an hour or two, and then it goes sour, and it don't smell good no more. Uh, and being aware of this also means, you know, uh, b- being aware that if you're in the car and the owner of the car smokes, you have a little less say. Yeah, I mean, like, if you've gotten into it and you know. So, you know, if that's going to be a big problem for you, then maybe don't ride with them. But yeah. also... If you're in a car that smokes and you're with a non-smoker, maybe at least open a window or something. Oh, absolutely. Like, like you got to be courteous in that way. Like, get that stuff out of there. But, but no, I mean, like, if I got into Kaji's car and we were going to an event, I, he's going to smoke in the car. I get that. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to smell a little bit like cigarettes. I, I made that bargain. But it's not me getting into somebody else's car and being like, you don't mind if I stink up all your stuff, do you? Uh, beyond just intense smells, there's inconsiderate behavior. Mm-hmm. This could be as simple as are you repeatedly kneeing the seat in front of you? Oh my god, I hate that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that's a thing that I have to be really careful about if I am sitting in the back of the car. Because I got big long legs and I'm a big old dude. Yep. So it is really easy for me to accidentally just be jamming my knee into the person in front of me's back without even knowing I'm doing it. 
but it's pretty inconsiderate when I do. Sprawling out, like if you got two people in a back seat, like sprawling out. Again, if you got two people who are dating or married in the back seat, then, you know, do what you want to do. But, like, if there's somebody over there that you don't necessarily know, like, stay in your lane. Like, don't don't push your stuff onto their side of the vehicle. Don't push you onto their side of the vehicle. we gotta got to keep our space here. And especially if you are, for some bizarre reason, fitting three people in your back seat, which generally, Ugh. just don't. Don't do it. I mean, if you're driving a half hour or whatever, but for us driving six hours, yeah, don't do that thing. No, I think four people to a car maximum and three is probably preferable. Um, showing my experience as an old grumpy man. Also, who has the ability to, you know, not have to cram as many people in the car as possible to make it manage. Uh, I, I understand that. But especially if you're in the middle seat, don't spread. You yeah. take up as little room as possible and you hope everyone else does the same thing. Yep. Uh, so yeah, just try to be considerate of the people who are in the vehicle with you. Understand that your survival depends on them wanting to you to get to the event alive. So <laughs> everybody just be nice, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, inclement weather. We've all experienced this, especially those of us from Montana, though I think, I, I know this is going to come out in two weeks after we record it, but right now the whole country is getting some inclement weather. Uh, so I, I, we can all speak to this, but you know, it can absolutely put a damper on something, you know, rain can, can delay, you know, you can occasionally have delays that, that make people grumpy or, or sleepy, you know, it, it can keep you up later than you intended on. And so, you know, folks can, can get a little uh, grumpy from that. Uh, obviously the, the snow can be a huge issue. I've had a rollover because of the snow. And I'll tell you right now that affected my moral morale. Yeah, it, it definitely affected my morale. And it, just is stressful if there's really bad weather happening outside of your car it can be nice you know we left an event once and it started raining like when we were leaving and we're like you know what we probably like just dodged that bullet but <laughs> squeak if it is the kind of snow coming down where when you're going down the highway you're it looks like you're going light speed in star <laughs> wars or star trek uh yeah. that is not fun and it's not fun when you're the passenger because you have no control over what's happening and it's not fun when you're the driver because you know you're the one in control of what's happening and that is real scary during that time however many souls are riding on you at that moment yeah (laughs) right yeah so again and and that's obviously that's not something that can be controlled you know you can't necessarily go out and control what uh what kind of weather you're gonna get but just be mindful that it can be stressful on everybody else too. And that if, you know, you're in the back and not worried about it, you might need to shut up for a while while everyone else is dealing with it. And then the last thing that can make morale suffer is boredom. Boredom can be an absolute mind killer. Again, those of you that have to travel like half an hour for an event, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear about it. I got no time. (laughs) you, (laughs) You guys put on one Taylor Swift song and you're there like... But for us, those of us who come from the mountains and have to travel distances or whatever, um, we have to worry about this, you know? So, so bringing along a little handheld video game system, bringing along some, some music, bringing along a book, just something to keep the mind busy isn't a bad idea. Driving to Battle for the Ring for us is a two-day drive. Yeah, or at least obs- it should be. Or an obscenely <laughs> long day that no one likes. Um, yeah. It is not... I have never met a person who could just sit there 
calmly without some form of entertainment and be fine for that amount of time. A Buddhist monk might be able to pull it off, but I don't think they're going to be going to many fighting events. That would be fascinating, but not the point of this conversation right now. (laughs) (laughs) Have something to entertain yourself. Try to make sure that that thing you're doing to entertain yourself uh, isn't annoying someone else at the same time. You know? So boredom and inconsiderate behavior at mm-hmm. the same time. Very hand in hand. You might be singing to in, uh, enjoy yourself on the way. Make sure you're in a car that is going to enjoy you singing and is probably going to join along. Because otherwise, it stops being fun real fast for everyone else. If you have a bunch of choir kids in a car and you guys want to put on a couple of musicals to, to do on the way down, you do you. Then like, it's time for In the Heights, son. Like, I'm on board, you That's know? That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'll take I'll take baritone. You can take bass. We can crush this. Oh, it'll just be great. <laughs> but no, if if that's one sided, you know, you got one person who's maybe like singing pretty full belt, and you got other people that are trying to sleep or trying to do their own thing. Yeah, I mean, even if it's your car, try to be mindful. Try to be mindful of the other folks who are in there with you. So the next thing uh, underneath this warp transit is the lecture training and drills. So on these big ships that the Imperium uses to ship people all over the place. Of course, they're like several cities, several mega cities in size a lot of times. So they've got, you know, halls and and drill areas and all sorts of, of like large chambers in which to conduct this sort of training. We have a four cab vehicle. So obviously we're not going to be doing the same sort of things that the guard would be doing. Uh, But there are things that we can do. For instance, under the topic of lectures, you can be listening to a topical podcast. Ooh, uh, what you know, could that possibly be? Maybe a little bit of Art of Wargaming well, on your trip to the thing, just to kind of get in the mindset. Or audiobooks, too, if you want to go directly to the source and listen to some Sun Tzu on an audiobook or something like that. That's also a good way to kind of be thinking about it and getting those brain juices flowing. Uh, if I'm driving to a place alone, I will 100% be listening to a fantasy audiobook to get in the right mindset for this. Right. So yeah, whatever whatever it is that you that it's good for you. That's that's fantastic. The next one is doing before and after personal reviews, and this was actually something we learned from Hakan. I think he was the first person that instigated that. We were going back and forth from events, and he started asking us questions like, "What did you feel like you did the best at the event? What do you feel like you need to work on?" Like the, just these like these reviews. And I found them to actually be a really useful tool to hanging on to those lessons that you learned, but can quickly fade. Like the things you learn at an event, because it's so high speed and so like fast paced, those things can quickly fade unless they're properly recorded in your brain. So these before and after personal reviews are a great way of getting that done. Uh, You know, what did you enjoy? You know, did, did you try a new style? Did you notice anything that I did well or that I needed to work on. Like, if you're going to do those, make sure you have some trust with the people you're talking to. But uh, oh, absolutely. It, is, yeah. it is a very good way to kind of relive that high. And it's not even a reliving the high of the event. It's kind of getting to prolong the enjoyment in a, in a helpful way. Like, yeah. In a constructive sort of way, absolutely. I do this with my squires all the time. I do it in practices. Like, it doesn't even have to be in the car, you know, at the end of practice. No, it's just a very useful tool. Yeah, it's just a very useful tool for kind of measuring your expectations for your progress and then measuring your individual progress. It, It really helps with that. And then lastly, the drills that you can do 
uh, would be like group battlefield tactical analysis. So sitting there with your friends or your, your car mates and being like, okay, so who's going to be there at this event? All right, I, I know the last event I saw that person at, they had a wicked high cross. We need to look out for that. You know, what sort of units do you think? Or do you, have you heard that if the, the horde's coming out in mass? Have you heard if, if uh, Dirtamarian is going to be there? Like, there's all these different questions yeah. that can be asked and kind of analyzed by your, your car on the way down. Yeah, if I know that, you know, let's say, for example, Bear, Fish, and Wadu are from God Squad are going to be at that event, we're probably going to talk about the fact that we're going to need to be ready for Bear, Fish, and Wadu. Like, Yeah, that's that's a lethal combo right there. And even if it's not as specific as the person, just, oh yeah, the EBF should have good numbers at this one. Or, oh man, there's this is Chaos Wars, there's going to be a ton of Gelf there. Or if you're going to a, a site, and like I know that when I was going to, and this is a lot of these things we do just naturally, not even thinking about it. Like, for instance, the before after personal reviews, a lot of people do that, but not in a very structured way. And this battlefield analysis, tactical analysis, if I'm bringing a new person to an event site, I'm going to probably be telling them what I know about it. Be like, okay, you want to camp in this area, not so much in this area. Halfway through the event, this part of the field is going to be mudded out, so kind of avoid that. You know, being able to convey just information about that is also really good because you're, you're kind of analyzing the battlefield at that point, letting people know what they should expect. The pond will look very appealing on day three, but I promise you it's gross. Don't go in it. Um... Don't do it. <laughs> do not do it. River, usually okay. Pond, almost always bad. Yeah, there's a lake. We're going to do slightly tangent here for a second, but the place that Chaos Wars has been for the last several years uh, has a lake nearby, Lake Walcott. And there's all sorts of people that like to go swimming in that lake. And you know, if they get enjoyment out of it, that's awesome. More power to them. But driving in, I was looking around and I know exactly what feeds into that lake. There's only livestock around there. Just livestock. So that lake is full of fertilizer, nitrates, and something else that livestock produce. Same thing, Battle of the Ring. Apparently I'm mentioning it a lot today. Uh, there's a lake right there. I've looked in that lake. It doesn't look that appealing. Like that, that water. Don't touch area. the water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unless it's like, like one of the Chaos Wars sites before, before the current one, uh, they had like a clean running brook uh, near it. And that, that was fine. That was good. Clean the, water. The difference, especially if it's by like July, is generally running water versus like sitting water in the heat. Yeah. Running water, that can get you clean. Uh, sitting water, that'll get you a leech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Where's the lie? Is that call it the leech pit or something like that? That that big pond that was in the middle, didn't we? Oh yeah, at the at the Haley Silverbell Idaho Silverbell Ranch. Thank you. There was yeah. a like part of a creek. It wasn't the river itself, and people would like wrestle over it and fall in. And I'm like, don't. That's that's the leech pond. Don't go in there. Like, that's what's wrong so with you people? Nasty. <laughs> so nasty. Glad I didn't have to go into their tent afterwards. Right. Ooh. <laughs> so, slight divergence, but again, it's on point. Like, if there's these sorts of things to be aware of at an event site, it's good to, to analyze that on the way down, even if you've been there before. Just a reminder. And the last thing about warp transit that needs to be talked about, and perhaps overanalyzed because that's what I do, is the idea of music choice. Music can make or break anything. For instance, the, the music that we use for this show, I it's not perfect. I, I am no way thinking that it's perfect or that I am some sort of savant. But I went through a lot of different ideas before I settled on what we have because music makes the mood. A lot. 
he showed them to me. He had, <laughs> yeah, he had to, he had to help with the editing process, or not the editing process, but I, I definitely was running things by him. Yeah, I was busy. <laughs> I was busy there for a second. But uh, when you're going to an event, usually when you're first starting out, you usually just put on whatever's in the car, the radio. Uh, but I find that as people are going to events more often, you start to refine what you like. You start to know what songs motivate you in certain ways or are better for certain stretches of road or whatever. And so you start to refine that list in some ways. And there's a lot of different theories behind these choices. Like I've been in a lot of different cars with a lot of different people and there's absolutely different valid theories for how to do this. But the only theories that we can discuss are our individual approaches to the music. So Thumbs, you want to uh, take it off from here? Yeah, I always, and this is just a weird tradition that I have kind of developed, but I almost always start when I am going out onto the highway playing Ain't No Rest for the Wicked by Cage the Elephant. It's solid choice. It's a solid choice. It's a fun song. It's got like a nice kind of like fun kick to it. You're feeling it. It's something that you can sing along with pretty easily. Um, and usually by the time that you are pulling out onto that highway, you have been rushing. You have been like trying to make sure everything's packed. You've run back into the house because you know you forgot something. You yep. stop and get gas. People are getting food. It's just that like... Up until the moment that you leave town, going to an event is super hectic. So having yep. that, like, we're on the highway, we're going, opening song tradition just feels fun. Because then you're like, all right, the song is playing, we're on the highway, this is real. Yeah, just something to signal to your brain that, you know, this is the time. Uh, like a, uh, a switch that you can, can kind of flip using music. <clears throat> so what about the rest of it? Like, do you have a particular theory for songs that we should be listening to early part of the journey as opposed to late? Um, overall, I tend to keep the music relatively upbeat. I try not to, unless I'm with people that I'm like, you know, going to be singing along with, like we talked, you know, if Grizzly and I are in the car, we're going to be putting on musicals and singing all those. But uh, if I'm in the car with, say, Anya and Yui, it is going to be music that's going to kind of give a good, happy feel in the car, but not something that I am going to be overly required to listen to because I will be much more holding conversations with them. And that music right. kind of becomes like background feel. Right. Instead of being like the foreground, like this is something you sing along with. There's like a, a conversation piece. So, so it's different based on, based on the, the who's in the car with you. You would say that your music theory changes on that. Also, understand that not all music that is going to be played on a car trip, if there's multiple of you, is going to be music that you like. Yeah. Hopefully, they are not making you listen to music you hate the whole time, because that is going to, you know, ruin the mood, and it's rude. But, except for the except the fact that, you know, if I'm in the car with you, we're going to listen to metal for a while, and that's not really my back. Yeah. No, I, and, and sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and deal with it. I was on my way to an event one time and I, I had no other way to get there and the, the guy was doing me a favor in a big way. Uh, but he and his girlfriend were really into modern country, like pop country. Oof. And I like country. I like Waylon Jennings and I like Johnny Cash. And like the, like the Yeah, yeah, there is some absolutely good country out there. Most of it is not played on the radio. And so what I had to listen to on the way down, now there was occasionally a 90s country song. And of course, I grew up in Montana in the 90s. So I know me some Reba and some Garth Brooks. Absolutely. 
but uh, a lot of the stuff I just didn't care for. But you know, it was it was their vehicle, so so that was what they wanted to do. And we arrived at night, so I didn't have to worry about being pumped up, anyways. Yeah, that that definitely can change the thing. But my theory is actually my it isn't so much based on the other people in the car, though I do take a lot of those things into consideration. Uh, my music stuff starts about an hour or two before we actually get in the car. Like I start amping myself up in some way. Usually it's a monomarth or fin troll, some sort of driving, biking, <laughs> or folk metal that just kind of gets me gets me amped up. And then the songs that I'm, I usually listen to while we're on the, our way out of the county, like those first couple, of, it's, it's got to be amped up party music, like something with a techno beat, something that makes you want to dance, something that just gets you in a, in a, in a happy, uplifted mood, and everybody's just kind of jiving. And then that middle part of the trip, of course, the longest portion of the trip, it's a bit more quiet music. Still something that moves. You don't want to put yourself to sleep. You know, nothing, no Moonlight Sonata or anything along those lines. Like, if you're going to listen to classical music, make it Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Like, at least at least go after something that moves. Or, or in the, like, I enjoy listening to, like, um, Great Big Sea or, or other, like, types of folk music. Those often make for a really good backing round because they move, but they're not, like, overly driving. Because the idea here for me is to, like, keep the energy up, but not to burn out before you get there. Because if you just keep up that driving, burning energy, uh, hour four of six, you're going to be sleepy. Yeah, you're going to be kind of done with that. Unless you've got so much caffeine in your system that you, sh- you should be considered a biological hazard. Uh, I mean, you are a human being. You will burn out. So that's why I like that middle section to just be, again, you know, something that, you know, you know, you know no mad world by Gary Jules. Don't put that on. Uh, that completely kills the mood. Ooh, you're going to go right to bed, too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so, yeah, just just something that moves. And then within about 45 minutes to half an hour of getting to the event site, that's that's when it's time to put on the war face. Definitely going back to, like, the Amonomarth and the Fin Troll at that point, but any sort of, like, driving, aggressive metal or rap. Really, like, yeah, Snoop Dogg, NWA, absolutely fits in right here. A little bit of Eminem. Uh, you know, just something that's like not hateful necessarily, but just makes you get you in a killing mood. This is going to be the most me answer to this possible, but the uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse soundtrack. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> it's got that same kind of feel of what you're talking about, though. Though, like, uh, uh, what up, danger? Can't stop me now. Like, you know, like let's do this. Yeah. Or, or even if, if you're not into like metal or that sort of thing, or even aggressive rap, uh, Two Steps from Hell is actually, they, they make music that honestly sounds like the background for like super epic mu- movies. Like when I first started hearing them on my Pandora station, I was like, what movie is this from? This sounds like an epic fight scene from a movie. No, they just make that music. They just make it. So that's, that's pretty cool stuff to listen in to if, if the, the rap and the heavy metal isn't exactly your jam. It's mine, but... I, I mean, I'm more with you on the rap than I am the heavy metal. I do enjoy stuff like The Dead South, or... Um, oh, I'm trying to think of who else. You know, you, you can still have that, like, driving, let's, let's have a fight thing. Even if your instrument is, like, the banjo of all things. Like, you can... Right. You can do this. It, it's more about the mood of the music than it is the specific genre, necessarily. I mean, fit the genre and what it, And what it evokes in you. Yes. Because, like, when I listen to those music, that's how I get my war face on. What, your war face might be applied with a completely different uh, set of tunes. 100% different choice of songs. And I know yeah. this 
because of the time that you and I were in the car together and we decided that we were finally going to educate me on metal. Yeah. That was a fun conversation. And for like an hour, you played metal and told me about the differences in the songs. And it was fascinating. I learned more about metal that day than I have ever learned in my life. And I lived with you for like four years. You did, yeah. Um, but afterwards you were like, all right, what's the most, like, what's your favorite metal? Like, which one of these songs did you like the most? And I was like, I have no idea. They are all, they, they are identical to me. And, and to somebody who's not a connoisseur, you know, all wine tastes the same. To, to somebody who doesn't listen to all that much metal, it all kind of sounds the same. And I get that. Like, I would not expose my grandparents to it because to them it would just be noise. It is not anything resembling the 50s doo-wop music that they raised me listening to. The closest I have to opinions on metal, like, of what I like, is the less someone is screaming, the more likely I am to enjoy it. Symphonic metal is very good. Symphonic yeah. metal, instrumental of any kind. Uh, if you put an orchestra with it, I'm much more likely to enjoy it, particularly if they don't open their mouth the whole time. Yeah, Dimo Borgia sometimes have an orchestra with it, but you're not a huge fan of his vocals, if I recall correctly. Uh, if you make your metal album with instrumental and then base it off, like, The Hobbit or something, because, man, metalheads are nerds and I love them for it. Yeah. That I am much more likely to enjoy. Sure. So yeah, these are just obviously two different perspectives on music choices. As many people as there are in the world, that's going to be the different perspectives. But this, is, I guess, it's just been a fun moment to talk about music, I guess, for us. Yeah, it's not something that we get to talk about on this podcast ever. It doesn't come up very often. So I think, uh, I think we've discussed this first little section to death, and it's probably time to move on to the perils of the campaign. section we're going to be going over some of the perils of the campaign that they spoke about in the latter parts of this book uh, some of the things were not applicable so we obviously didn't cover them for instance the best uh, way to avoid a, an aircraft for instance any aircraft techniques are not going to be applicable for the things that we do in a direct sense pretty much the only thing i can think of is that one video on the internet of a dude flying a drone over a recreation thing and someone threw a javelin at it and hit it Right. Um, <laughs> that was pretty good. Which is an amazing video. Uh, Outside of that very specific instance, I got nothing. Yeah. That's not going to be something that you face. Uh, so that, that we kind of, we scrapped that part. Uh, there was a big section on cover, which is largely not important. I mean, if you're an airsoft player, I suppose cover is going to be pretty important to you. But I would hope that as an airsoft or paintball player, you have realized that sticking your booty <laughs> in the wind is a good way to get it shot off. And that you want to have at least three-fourths cover when you're engaged in a firefight. Yeah, we tend to play uh, antiquity battle style of everyone just finds the biggest, flattest field we can get and we go nuts. Yeah, yeah. So even when there is cover, it's not like the number of archers is few compared to the number of melee combatants. And so cover is not as necessary in that way. So again, that, that part, I, I think we just touched on the most impart, important part of it. If you're in any sort of firefighting game, maintain at least two-thirds cover. Or, uh, yeah, two-thirds or, or uh, four-thirds. <laughs> Three-fourths. <laughs> Woo! Uh, cover, and you'll be fine. The first section of this, though, we wanted to get a little goofy with it. Because the, the guard book is talking about the Know Your Foe section. And in it, they talk about the orc 
the Eldar and how to deal with uh, demons and Tyranids and those sorts of things. And I thought it might be kind of fun to do like a guard style roast of some of the different creatures that we find in Belagarth. Because again, I think we talked about this earlier, but um, Belagarth is kind of a LARP in that you can come up with a backstory, you can have a, a monster that you're role playing. The combat itself is just combat, but you yourself can go as deep into the storytelling and character as you want to. Well, and if we're being honest, even if you're not a heavy role player with your thing, the species you pick for yourself can tell us a whole lot about what we expect from you as a fighter. Yeah. Yeah, because there, there are, there is like, it's almost like a personality test. Yeah, it's a hundred percent a personality test. <laughs> yeah, so, so again, when we're doing this, just know that we're doing it all in good fun. It's, it, this is a roast. We would not be doing it if we did not love you, because comedians only roast people that they love, right? So, so real quick, we got to get into character. So just bear with us, real quick. <laughs> praise the emperor! Praise the emperor! Praise the emperor! For yeah, okay, okay, okay. I'm good. Yeah, we're good. So, Guardsmen, the first foe that you need to be aware of on the battlefield is the Orc, or also known as the Uruk in some places. Now, you have to know that the Uruk is an unworthy foe. They're basically animals with very limited tactics, and they are cowards running at the first sign of any trouble. You can expect them to be easily startled by loud noises and sudden movements. Obviously, Urukai camp is a very demure place. They never have loud parties going on at Urukai camp, Not and they will scatter once. very quickly. They will never. just drop their nope. gear and flee at a moment's notice. They're scamperers, that's for sure. The Eldar, or the Elf. Oh. Untrustworthy, decadent, delight in mm. needless pain. They're a dying race and fragile. If you breathe on them wrong, they'll just fall apart. You don't need to worry about their long-distance stuff. They they have no skill. No skill at long-distance. Uh, <laughs> a trusty guardsman's rifle can do far better... Thumbs is dying over there. <laughs> a trusty guardsman rifle is far more effective than any elf or Eldar weapon. No doubt. No doubt. Daemons. Daemons are another one. Or demons, depending on your where you come from with this. Demons are... Well, there's something that you, you don't necessarily need to be aware of, but when we're talking about warp transit guardsmen, you need to be vigilant, constant vigilance, because a demon, all souls are vulnerable to them. If you experience a moment of weakness, a moment of a last, lack of faith in your emperor, then a demon can find a place to take root in your soul. Look for abnormal behavior in your fellow guardsmen. Do you notice that they're speaking strangely to themselves at night? Are they scrawling strange symbols in fecal matter on the walls? These things should cause concern in you, guardsmen. And lastly, you a, a demon never manifests physically. Never. Not once. You never see a demon on the... Like Kaji. Kaji is not... He's, he, uh, you know, I don't know what he is. But, uh, you know, that's... There's no demons. No, never. No. Nope. But definitely not demons. Do their eyes glow red with the fire of Hades? Like, that's a warning sign. That is. That is. Uh, yeah, so be be vigilant for the for the demonic possession. Because, again, they never manifest physically. Not once. Nope. Be, uh, be, be aware of that, guardsman. The dragons are winged monstrosities lacking any intelligence, born only for destruction, mindless killers. And obviously there are planets where these drakes can be found. The, the sons of Vulcan have had to deal with them on their home world. And, of course, many different planets have monstrosities of this sort. But be aware. Their hides 
are thin. A concentrated fire of las weapons can easily puncture them. Do not be afraid of the dragon guardsmen, for you can overpower it easily. Wink, wink. There is definitely not a dragon hanging out with only a single scale missing who will burn you alive if you take one step too far. Nope. Nope, nope. <laughs> okay, back into character. Mutants. Mutants can be caused by a variety of things, but they are always a perversion and an abomination to mankind. They can be caused by some sort of planetary effect, whether it's low gravity or high gravity, toxins in the atmosphere, these can cause mutations. Genetic flaws passed down over time that become larger regressive traits, these can also spawn grotesque mutations. Toxic, toxic exposure to abrasive chemicals or radiation can also cause mutation. And finally, one should always be looking out for experiments. Remember that there are dark elves and dark Eldar in the universe and even more twisted creatures that make parodies of human life, if only for fun. So the mutant must be abhorred and must be avoided at all costs. And there are several different types of mutant that one needs to be aware of. The changeling, for instance, is presumably rare, but one does not know because they are, in fact, a changeling. So one must always distrust the stranger and the familiar people and probably your friends. Just be on the way. Be on the lookout. If you left a baby out in the woods, you should probably distrust that baby when it comes back. I'm just getting it out there. It is yes. 100% a hundred percent. Always distrust the baby. <laughs> you got to distrust the baby. And then beastmen. Beastmen are another common mutation that you might see. Now, a lot of beastmen are mutants, but some of them are entirely alien. The issue here is that they look vaguely humanoid. And of course, because they are not entirely human, they are a perversion of the human form and must be eradicated immediately. Worst case scenario, there's always labyrinths. There is. Yep. Get them. Next up, we're going to have the goblins or the Gretchen, depending on uh, which term you wish to use here. They appear to be a separate species of smaller orcs. Uh... The, uh, the difference between them here is that goblins appear to be a separate species entirely, and they have a long and entirely unintelligible history that they seem to recite at every given opportunity. Okay, we're burning them here, but I legitimately get confused anytime I try to hear about <laughs> goblin history. Like, it's amazing the work they put into it, but that is not a joke at all that it's unintelligible. <laughs> um, back to it. The Gretchen, <laughs> however, are like a smaller species of orc. They come from a similar fungal spore and are just as easily startled and scampery as your run-of-the-mill orc. So, one must be able to know the difference between the, these, however. And one of the easiest ways to spot the difference between a Gretchen and a goblin is that the goblins will often have their elbows covered. And if a goblin does not have his elbows covered, you will find his comrades mocking him for such things. But if they're a Gretchen... Why goblins do this, no one knows. Care. Oh, no one wants to know. Just, they'll try and tell you. <laughs> then there are the undead. And of course, if you've never come across the undead, you are a lucky individual because these shambling mounds of flesh are, again, perversions. You're going to hear perversion and grotesque monstrosity a lot because that, that is what the Imperium views a lot of things as. But these undead, they're heinous corruptions of life, abominations, and they can be caused by either Warpcraft or by the Plague Father himself. There is no good undead. Things that are dead should stay dead, and they should go willingly unto the Emperor. If something comes back, it is a most unholy thing. 
again, I know we're making fun of this, but this is how you have literally played your relationship to the undead in Belagarth since you were 15 years old. Oh, yeah, I hate vampires, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Next up we have the... Oh, how perfect that this was me. Next up we have us, the Elementals. We... Elementals are Warcraft made manifest. We're vile Xenos. Any piece of terrain could betray you. And we're a mercur mercurial species. So mercurial, I don't even know how to pronounce that correctly. <laughs> yeah, if we were in the same room right now, I would smite you for your heresy. <laughs> because our next, our last uh, foe that we want to go over, has, I, I don't know anything about them, obviously. I, I have no... Uh, connection or relation to these at all i i certainly don't know any what even is troll so yes trolls ogres and giants I, they seem to be classified as separate things but to the guardsmen you just have to know them as highly varied lumbering morons with absolutely no understanding of tactics history or strategy you can expect them to be completely inept in every aspect of wargaming I'm just going to record a soundbite of you saying that about trolls and play it every chance I get to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was a little bit of fun. Again, uh, those of you who are listening for Belagarth, I, I appreciate your responses on Facebook, and I hope you know that this is all in good fun. And that, again, I love the rich, diverse uh, expression of self that happens within Bell. I personally enjoy listening to the Goblin Witch Doctor stories. They are absolutely fascinating to me, the history that's all there. They're amazing, don't get me wrong. I just don't know what's happening in them. Like, those are wildly different issues. And then I was in the Urukai, so so basically rest assured that I, I they don't run for nothing. <laughs> They'll know that they're going to lose and they're they're just standing there stubbornly jutting their jaw out at their force. So again, I, I, again, I hope you all know that this is just hopefully something to make you chuckle. But the one section, again, aircraft, we don't have to worry about aircraft. That's not generally something we deal with in our on our field, and if we do, we got a whole other thing going on in the game. But the one section that I did find that was applicable was on anti-tank security and protection, because although we don't have, you know, tanks, actual tanks on the field, which I'm sad about. I love tanks, so we could have more tanks and I'd be cool with that. We do have high-skilled vets. Now, in 40k, you do have tanks, so some of this is also going to be directly applicable there. It becomes very literal at that point. It becomes very literal. Uh, but for high-skilled vets, so if you see somebody coming across, and you know that they're good, sometimes even better than you. There's a number of things that you should probably do. First thing, and probably the most important thing about this, is that you should give ample warning that that is occurring. And that ample warning should fit three specific criteria it needs to be simple it needs to be loud and it needs to be repeated you know i'm gonna add a fourth simple criteria here oh it needs to be something that you can understand yeah i mean i guess that could kind of fall under simple but like that's kind of what I've i was had people there. just kind of start shrieking oh yeah like, da, 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 da. just shrieking noises because someone's coming up behind us that doesn't help me that because no. i don't know what's coming up behind man i don't know what to prepare for I understand a person is in distress, but I do not know why. <laughs> yes, exactly. So something simple like, you know, if, if TF or, or Shy gets around and they start coming up behind, then you simply say... Turkey coming up behind us. Shy coming up behind. Shy coming up behind. Shy coming up behind. And repeat that until people start to pay attention. Because, again... Like, on the left. Yeah. I mean, even if you're speaking clearly and loud, 
people may not hear it. There's a lot of things going on. The battlefield is a very convoluted and noisy place. So a lot of times, if you just shout something once, it gets lost in the, in the general din of combat. So repeating it is the best way to make sure that people actually get the point. Do not run away. Do not run away, man. Again, I can't believe you of all people are trying to pass this uh, information <laughs> off on someone. This I, is... Like, uh... I do not run. I perform tactical repositioning, sir. I don't run. I saunter away. No, actually, that's not true. I've watched you sprint. I do sprint on occasion. <laughs> but no, I, I do not... I mean, try not to run away. Again, if you need to do an orderly retreat, that's one thing. But, like, turning around and running is not a very good idea. Because, for one thing, in, in, a, in a fight like that, there's always a chance for victory. You know, you could throw a shot that they're not expecting. They could make a mistake that you take advantage of. And I've absolutely taken out people who are way better than me uh, because there was some fluke and I was able to capitalize on it. But uh, if you're not better than them and you can't have that chance at victory, then you can always be a nice speed bump. I, I see this a lot with new people. Very much with new people. Of Like, there's a difference between, you know... I have to fight you in Turkey. I'm going to be tactically moving as much as I can, and I'm going to be like trying to range one of you out uh, versus bolting. And especially if I am, you know, grumpy old guy like I am, and I have to chase down someone half my weight who is just not even like trying to fight run, just bolting. I am going to be grumpy by the time I catch you. <laughs> Yeah, and then if you get somebody like myself or TF, that just... It's basically like running from a dog at that point. Like, <laughs> game on. You just run from a predator. Naturally born sprinters. Uh, yeah. Uh, you're, you're running from a cougar or from a wolf. That's not a good idea. Like, that just... They're like, okay, cool, prey animal. I, I got you. Oh, okay, so in that case, I'm the bear. Because anytime you watch a bear chase something, they always look like they're like, oh, come on, dude. You're going to make me do this now. Come on. <laughs> do you... Do you see how much weight I have to get shifted? <laughs> uh. And then the other big thing to use against tanks is natural obstacles of some sort. So if you've got a high skill vet coming against you, you can always use the terrain features against them. You know, put a tree between you and them. Or one of the things that I'll, I've, I've occasionally done is um, if you've got somebody who is the, the same handed fighter. So if you've got two left handed people fighting each other or two right handed people fighting each other you can force your opponent to be throwing into something. So if you can position correctly, they're basically going to be throwing into a tree or throwing into a fortification. You're going to be restricting their shot selections. Uh, meanwhile, you got all the shot selections in the world because you're sitting there with your arm free. This is, yeah, you love this one. I mean, this is exactly the kind of fighting that you get into. But... Yes, yeah. Now, again, I don't get to practice this very often because I myself am left-handed and the majority of people are not. Yeah, it's pretty much just you and me. <laughs> and Dickie. Well, well and I got Dickie. Dickie, too. And Dickie. But, yeah, if I can only throw one shot and they can throw two different shots, man, there's a good chance that's going to go badly for me. Yeah. So that's huge. So using those uh, train features not to just obstruct but also to hinder your opponent's ability to throw shots is very good. Uh, fortifications, kind of the same deal, like use the angles to your advantage, make them have to approach at a less advantageous position. You got a fortification. Patience is what you got right there. And then other people. This is one that I like to use. I like to use other people as speed bumps. Call me cold, call me callous, call me calculating, but uh, don't call me late for dinner. Call me a support fighter. I love having a shield man between me and you. 
Yeah, you probably should. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is my favorite thing. Yeah. So so yeah, using other people to your advantage, especially if you're a newer fighter, like don't go don't go out by yourself and and try to play hero because you're not gonna be, you're gonna die and you're and it's you're not gonna die a hero, you're gonna die a cannon fodder. So using in this particular case, like if you can find another vet or even another another like group of people to go with, those people are now an obstacle too. Now you present an actual unified force against whatever vet you're going against, rather than uh, not. The thing to remember when you use obstacles is you have to make sure you're taking account for them as well. So yeah. positioning is insanely important with obstacles. Yep. And again, this all plays to 40k very literally. You know, it's the same thing. Like if you've got a tank coming in, you want to be aware of that tank coming in. Pay, pay attention to it. Uh, you don't necessarily want to run away from it because then it just gains more ground. You have to find a way to contest that ground without losing a bunch of people. And then using the natural obstacles, using cover and different terrain pieces in order to protect yourself from said tanks. Uh, it's all pretty straightforward, yeah. Uh, our final thing that we're going to talk about for this episode today is what to do if you are behind enemy lines. Mm. Uh, the first thing, if you can, link back up with your team. It's dangerous to go in them. Uh, here, take this. Yes, exactly. Uh, I also just now got the link pun, and I am now mad at you. But, uh, <laughs> that was very well done. That was, oh, God. Um, I got him with my notes, guys. I, I got him. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you can't line back up, remain hidden if you can. This is non-aggressive body language. This is not pretending to be dead. That's not cool. Pretending to also... be dead is against the rules. Yeah, don't do that. And also, it's a jerk move. But this could be... Oh, I woke up the cat. Um, yes, hello, Shorty. This could be not being what Shorty is doing right now and shrieking a lot. It's time for her solo. It could be just, uh, sauntering. The saunter is a very specific form of walk, and someone sauntering is hard to think of as a threat. It's a very non-aggressive walk. Exactly. And I have straight up sauntered to the back of somebody's line before and they didn't think anything of it until someone turned around and went, hey, he's not on our... Whack. Yes. So yeah, the saunter, keeping the shoulders low, keeping the chest kind of concave isn't a bad idea either. Assuming a general position of weakness, eyes cast down, weapons not necessarily at a position of ready. All of these things help convey the image that you are not a threat. We have talked a lot about when you are outnumbered on the field, puffing your chest out and like making yourself look big and hoping the pufferfish defense works for you. Mm -hmm. This is the exact opposite. This is if the pufferfish was usually like that and instead decided to go tiny. I'm sure there's an animal that actually does it. A wolf in sheep's clothing if the sheep had swords. That just sounds metal. That just looks like it should be on the side of a uh, van. You know, yeah, I need to make a metal cover with that specifically. I have a mission now. That's going to be a metal cover. Uh, you want to, if you were behind enemy lines and going to stay there, disrupt and destroy. This is pretty straightforward. I mean, this is what every World War II action movie made in the last 20 years has been. Yeah, paratroopers going in and disrupting and destroying. Yep. It's real cool, and it feels real satisfying when you do it. If you can take out the archers, if you can take out the pole arms, the at this point, recognize that there's a good chance, especially in our game where, you know, it's a game, you're probably going to die. 
So it is just a matter of how much damage you can cost and how valuable a damage you can cost. You know, if I can kill three archers, that might be more valuable than killing three skirmishers. Right. Yeah, so I, I like archers and pole arms, absolutely targets of opportunity. But if you don't have easy access to those, if there are uh, linemen who are distracted or focused, for instance, if they're engaged in pitched battle with your own forces, they're not going to notice you coming up from behind, most likely. So that's a good spot, and that enables your team to have a breakthrough, too. So that, that destabilizes their, their team and their line even further. This is definitely a place where the, the timing of the fight, where you are in the specific fight, changes how valuable a target is. If the two sides haven't engaged yet, man, taking out those archers is probably the most valuable thing you can do. Yep. If you take out part of the back of the line, they have time to you know, cover that if you are not already engaged. But if you're fighting, you know, me and Grizzly and Dio on one side and suddenly you, Malark, comes bursting through the back and you die in the process, but you disrupt their line, at least one of us is getting through that line. Right. And then that's a whole new set of obstacles to deal with. Yep. So, yeah, you want to be looking for those opportunities, too. And then, of course, as we've discussed before, commanders. And they don't necessarily need to be official unit leaders or official realm leaders or anything like that, but just somebody who's there and whose voice is providing some sort of cohesion to that team. That person needs to die. Uh, it can even be something as small as someone just a few steps ahead. Not like idiot few steps ahead, but, you know, like the, the big confident person. Everyone's like, yeah. We've got that, and when that person just gets dropped and you're on their team, you always have always have that moment of like, oh, no. Well, it's like when Achilles got killed. Like, the, the whole team was, or the, like all of the Greeks were like, oh, well, that's great. That was our best <laughs> dude. Whoops, this is going to go badly for us now. And then Odysseus came and did the Odysseus thing. Well, yeah. As he does. So that's a... Uh... That's the Imperial Infantryman's Handbook. Again, like there's there's more in the back. There's a bunch of little prayers uh, to the Emperor and that sort of thing. And I, I had considered covering some of those, but I think that should be something just for y'all who, who have the book. Also, uh, we're not a religious show, and while we praise the Emperor, we're not necessarily advocating for his worship. Also, we are well over an hour and a half at this point. Yeah, we are. <laughs> there's so much more of the book to go. Um, so I think, yeah, this is the... Uh... This is the place to end it. Yeah, we appreciate you guys uh, listening, and we hope that you've enjoyed this, whether you've come from it from a physical or intellectual wargaming perspective. If you still haven't had enough of the art of wargaming, you can always check us out at our Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I'm trying to make memes that are educational and some memes that are humorous from time to time, depending on my mood. So, you know, tune in and, and see what we got going. Uh, if you want to email fire us, lately. I feel like we're seeing a lot of those. Yeah, I got some fire memes. I got some fire memes recently. I'm 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 hot. Uh -huh. uh, if you want to email us, questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, art of wargaming uh, podcast at gmail.com is a good place you can direct those things. We always like to hear from y'all. It's cool to have these conversations happening all over the world, and we we definitely appreciate it. Also, don't forget that you can find our website at taowargaming.com. That's taowargaming.com. And then we have a bunch of uh, shows on our sister network that are also fantastic. Yeah, at this point, you should be able to listen to... Jeez, what will we be at? We'll be at Fried Squirms, which is a horror movie podcast. We'll be at General Nerdery, which is a 
nerd podcast. Actually, I'm just going to list all the general nerd podcasts in one because there's several. There's general nerdery. There's word balloons. There's noob island. There's all sorts of options for you. So yeah, check out the the different uh, folks we got here at Earworm. We definitely got a, a jumping production company going on. But without further ado, this has been Yagamalark. Nine thumbs. Signing off. Mm-hmm.